tonight we are uh, starting a new series called, We Believe, Now What? Uh, we make a huge deal about placing our trust in Jesus as our Savior and King, and rightly so, but what exactly are we supposed to do after that? And we're going to spend a few weeks talking about this, but before we can really do that, we need to make sure that we're on the same page when we use the word believe. And in this sense, we're, we're describing our conversion, where we acknowledge that we're sinners, that Jesus took our punishment and died in our place, and we accept him as our Savior and King as the only way to be good enough. And the classic picture of this is found in Luke 15, uh, which contains the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, perhaps you know the story, the, the wayward son goes away, he lives a life of sin, and he just crashes and burns. And then he comes to his senses, he comes back to his father, confesses his sin, and is welcomed with open arms. And when we hear that story, we often smile and think that uh, this is such a nice message for all the sinners out there. And yet the, uh, the people that Jesus is speaking to here are not the moral filth of his day. Um, actually, I, pull your phones out and turn with me to Luke chapter 15. So Luke chapter 15, if you have a physical Bible, use that too, but we'll just assume phones. So Luke um, 15, and just look at the first couple of verses. It, it sets the stage for us. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. See, Jesus has aimed this parable at, at the religious people, the moral, church-going people, the people that thought God and them were good. This, this parable is intended to blow up our, our perception of how we relate to God. And so tonight, we're going to look at what it means to believe. We're going to, to take a look at our attempts to relate to God as laid out by the parable of the prodigal sons and why that doesn't work. That's not a, that wasn't a slip-up. It is the parable of the prodigal sons, plural. We're told that, that the, son, or the father had two sons in this story, one that goes off and lives a crazy life, and the other faithfully serves his father. But both of them are equally alienated from the father. And so as we look at this parable, I, I, I want you to, to be taking an honest look at yourself and see if you see one of the brothers reflected in you. So the story is going to teach us three things about our, our conversion. The first one is this. Sin is more than wrongdoing. And certainly that's a good baseline, right? But, but we all know a lot of people who are kind, loving individuals that, that have no relationship with Jesus. They're good people. So how can we call them sinners? And, and this perfectly describes the Pharisees or the, the religious people of Jesus' day. Their entire life was built around not breaking God's law. They were good people. How then were they sinning? So to answer that question, we really need to dig down past individual acts of wrongdoing that we would call sins, plural, and look at the root, at sin itself. Uh, sin is running from God, his authority over our life, and our dependence on him. So, so think about it. Um, God says, do not steal, right? 
And so when you steal something, you aren't just breaking the rule, sins, individual acts of wrongdoing. You are rebelling against his authority to tell you not to steal. You are running from him, and that's sin. And we see both sons doing this in the parable. Uh, It's rather obvious when it comes to the younger brother. Uh, At the beginning of the story, if you look at verse 12, it says, "And, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, uh, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Okay, so in those days, for a child to get their share of the property, their inheritance, the, the parent had to die. And so the younger son is basically telling his father, I wish you were dead because I want your money. He resents his father. He resents his father's authority, and he physically runs away from him. Obviously a clear depiction of sin, right? And we know people like that, don't we? People who just strongly reject God, and and they say, you are dead to me, and live however they want to live. But the older brother does the same thing. But we just missed it at first glance. Uh, Look at the older brother's reaction at the end of the parable. So this would be in verse... 28. The, the, the younger son has come back. The father's throwing a party. And, and this is the, the, the older brother's reaction in verse 28. Um, he comes back and he's angry and refuses to go into the party. His father came out and entreated him. Uh, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? Do you, do you hear what he's saying? Look at all these things I've done for you. I've obeyed and served you all these years. Why haven't you given me a fattened calf or even a goat? Where's my money? He won the same thing as the younger brother. He is just as resentful toward his father, but his version of running is cloaked in rule-following. Now, you may be wondering, how is keeping the rules running from God? Well, what does the older brother say? His father owes him because of his years of service, because of his good works. Because he's kept the rules, he feels like he has leverage or control over the father and his money. See, sin is more than just doing the wrong things. Sin is doing the right things for the wrong reasons. The older brother has done everything right but he has done so in order to get his father's money, just like the younger brother. And the Pharisees were doing the same thing. They were keeping all the rules, but but not because they loved God, but because they wanted God uh, to owe them, because they wanted the good life, the prosperous life, and they thought if they did what the law commanded, God was required to give it to them. And I think many in the church fall into this trap. I know I have. We, we look to Jesus as our help, as our inspiration, but it is our efforts that win the day or that solve the problem. Which leads us to the, the second thing we see in this parable. You can be lost in the church. And by lost, I mean separated from God. Our primary problem is that we are cut off from God, the source of life. And sometimes it's very easy to see that you are cut off. That's the younger brother types, the people who have made bad choices and their life has just fallen apart around them. 
and we look at them and say, yeah, they're lost. That person needs Jesus. Um, it's actually uh, somewhat easy for even younger brother types to realize that they need help because their life is in shambles. And this is what happens to the, the younger brother. After he squandered all of his money, we're told in um, verse 14 that a famine comes. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. He, he realizes that, that, he, that he's lost because the signs are, uh, that he's lost are quite obvious, right? He wants to eat what the pigs are eating. However, the older brother is just as lost, just as alienated from the father, even though he's still in his father's house. Uh, the signs are just far more subtle. Uh, so here's some ways you can tell if you're alienated from the father, if you haven't really grasped God's grace to you. You get angry when things don't go your way. Uh, we see this in verse 28. Uh, once again, the, he comes to the party, and, and he is angry, and he refuses to go in, uh, and so his father has to come out to him. He is angry because he should be the one the party is for. He's the one who has been working hard and doing what the father asked. Once again, he becomes angry because the father owes him. And older brother types also feel that God owes them for their good works, and when things don't go their way, they get angry. Uh, if they feel like they have done enough good things, they get angry at God for not keeping his end of the assumed deal. And, and if they feel like they haven't done enough good, they get angry at themselves for not measuring up. Either way, they become angry when things don't go the way they believe it should. Another marker is that their obedience is joyless. Uh, the, the older brother uh, declares in his anger in verse 29, um, Look, these many years I have slaved for you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. So think about it. There are two reasons you do chores, right? You do chores because you love your parents, and so you do it. Or... You do your chores because you want your allowance or whatever people give you now, or you don't want to lose your phone or whatever they threaten you with, right? And, and so there, there's two ways to think about it. There is the, the doing it because uh, you love the person and then doing it as a means or a path to what you actually want, which means that you will do your chores half-heartedly, resentfully, and joylessly. And this is how older brother types obey God, not because they want to out of a love for God, but because they want to not go to hell <laughs> or, or they really want a good grade or, or a hot girlfriend or what have you. God is simply a tool for them to use. Third, older brother types act superior to the younger brother counterparts and they look on them with disdain. So after stating his obedience, the older brother compares himself to his younger brother in verse 30. But when this son of yours, doesn't even say my brother, it's this dude over here, the son of yours who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Do you hear the condensation? Uh, because he, he, he kept the rules, because he felt that he was superior to his brother, he's the one that deserved the party. 
not the younger brother. Older brother types often think that they are better than everyone else since they have been slaving away and doing the good. And they look at others, and rather than say, I'm no different, they say, mm, I would never do that. Here's my point so far. We are all sinners. We are all lost. Even those of you who, who've grown up in the church and, and know all the right answers, you too are running from God. You too are lost. And it's only when we realize this that we can see the good news that this parable teaches us, and, and that is that, that there is only one way to God. Perfect. Um, and yes, that, that is good news, because the other two options, the younger brother option and the older brother option, do not work. And so we have to understand the characteristics of this third way. Um, first, God comes to us. Notice that in both verse 20 with the younger brother or verse 28 with the older brother, it is the father who comes out and brings the sons in. Your efforts are not what bring you into God's love and his acceptance. And frankly, it is his actions that start the ball rolling and it's his actions that finish it. We are saved by grace alone. We contribute nothing. Second, we must repent of our sins and our righteousness. We have to confess that the reason that we did right was to put God in our debt so that, that we could have a say in the kind of life we deserve and keep control of our lives. We have to confess that our motives and the rebellious nature of our hearts. And third, and this one is probably the most important to grasp, we need to rejoice in God's provision of salvation. See, the reason that we run from God at the base, either in sin or in our attempts to be righteous, is because we don't trust God. We think that something else will make us happier, more fulfilled, or have a better life. But when we look at Jesus, when we see what he endured for us to be able to return to the Father, that by his wombs we are healed, that changes things experiencing and rejoicing in his selfless love for you destroys the mistrust in our hearts that, that makes us either younger brothers or older brothers. And so where do we go from here? Well, first, can I just challenge you to take a good look at yourself and ask yourself, are you still lost? Are you still running from God? Are you off doing whatever you want to do? Or perhaps you are, are, are running by trying to be the good kid, Right? If you have never been found, if you have never uh, repented and, 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 and placed your trust in Jesus, can I encourage you to do that? But I also want to speak to those of you who have accepted Jesus as your Savior and King, because we are very susceptible to falling back into older brother thinking, especially if you've grown up in the church. We are trained up from an early age to do the right things. And, and, you know, we would say, of course, that we're saved by, by grace alone, but functionally, the way we live communicates that we believe our justification, our acceptableness is based on our sanctification, uh, our, our attempts to be holy. But this parable tells us that's a lie. Our justification is not based on our sanctification. It's based on his substitution. And so I, I want to invite you to join me in, in repenting not only of the sins that, that we, that I commit, 
but also the reasons that we do good. And to reflect on God's loving provision until it makes our hearts sing.